Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurial League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey. You know, a lot of people think that you have to do this alone, but you don't need to. And some people think that you have to start with a co-founder from the beginning. And what I like to share with people, sometimes you find the founders along the way. When Karine Luna Ostaseski discovered the world of scotch, she realized it was full of preconceived notions and decided she wanted to create an inclusive brand that changed people's opinions. She built Sia focusing on creating a flavor profile that was unique and disruptive, and she hit the ground running with a successful Kickstarter campaign, her grit, and the determination to make an impact. Fast forward to today, she looks back on her journey and shares the biggest lesson she has learned over the years, and also exciting news about launching the Entrepreneurial Spirit Fund by Sia Scotch, a $250,000 grant program in partnership with Hello Alice to support entrepreneurs of color. And she tells us how you can apply for a chance to receive a $10,000 grant plus mentorship and a one-year membership to the Entrepreneurista League. Coming up, how Karine pivoted from being a graphic designer for 20 years to launching her own brand her experience getting into the scotch industry and the power of networking. How she created a unique flavor profile that so many love. She shares everything you need to know about launching a Kickstarter. This is the Entreprenista Podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. We are so excited for you to join us today and have such an exciting conversation coming up, learning all about your career from corporate America to launching your business. What I want to know first is after working for 17 years in corporate America and having very safe jobs, you left to launch your own liquor company. Can you take us back through your career journey and what led you to take the leap? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think I, for, for anyone who's in that sort of midlife career transition, it's a scary step, right? You've got this steady paycheck, you've built your identity around who you are. So to suddenly, whatever age that is, to, to take that leap into the unknown where you don't have any recognition, any steady financial support, it's it's a big, scary leap. For me, it was just more when when could I not make that that decision anymore, right? So I was a graphic designer, creative director for 17 years. I worked for really large media corporations in New York, like ABC News and Reuters. I made a, the, the move across the country to California and started working for a lot of Silicon Valley tech startups. And, you know, all along the way, I think towards the end, especially I was finding myself staring at my screen every day, designing things so that everyone could stare at their screens all day or their little screens. And I realized there was a point where I was just really unhappy thinking about, you know, this isn't what I want my legacy to be. 
I love that scotch in particular is a drink that you sit down with a friend. You share a moment in real life and you go slow, you take time and it's not a shot or a party drink. It's it's something that takes a long time to mature. And, and so the beauty in that is in taking that moment in real life and finding human connection again. So I came into the world of scotch in my early 20s. After work one day, a friend said, do you want to grab a, a glass of scotch? And I said, no, I don't drink scotch. <laughs> and he said, well, have you ever tried scotch before? And I said, yeah, once, but I didn't like it. And uh, and he said, well, that's that's silly. That's like saying that you had a glass of red wine once and now you don't drink any red wine at all. You just haven't found your brand. And so I said, okay, well, show me. And so that night I tried about four different, different brands and was instantly hooked, right? I fell in love with the way the bartender was talking about the different distilleries, the, the blends themselves, and this, this romantic notion that these blenders and distillers were putting product into barrels for future generations that they're never even going to get to taste. And, and so I quickly became that that friend that was always trying to tell everybody else, you have to drink scotch. <laughs> but time and time again, I got those same, you know, preconceived notions. That's my grandfather's drink. It burns my nostrils. It tastes like gasoline. And then slowly but surely, you know, I had this idea brewing in the back of my mind that, you know, what if I created a brand that, that could change everybody's opinion about this drink and really introduce an entire new generation to the category? What year was it that you had that idea? And what was the first step that you took? Yeah. So I think it was in like maybe early 2000s is when I started like kind of dabbling into scotch, right? But it wasn't until about maybe 10 years ago, you know, of all things, I was going through a breakup <laughs> and like breakups do, they kind of shake you up to your core inside and, and, you know, have you evaluate your life? Like where else am I unhappy? And that's when I was starting to think, you know, I'm kind of unhappy in my job. And so the kind of funny story that that I like to share is I had my, you know, a little, I found myself with a little extra money that I no longer needed for couples counseling. <laughs> so I would take my, my $300 and every week I'd go to my local whiskey shop and buy, you know, three, four, five really nice bottles of, of whiskey. And before you knew it, I had about 300 bottles in my collection. Oh my gosh. So I started looking at this and saying, well, what should I do with this? And I realized, you know, I should just do what I love doing, which is introducing people to scotch. So I started hosting scotch whiskey tasting events and realizing in doing that, you know, over the course of tasting thousands of people on, on different brands and having these scotch tasting events, I was having these, these conversations with people that were kind of circular about scotch. So I was realizing the people coming to these events already like scotch and my joy was really in introducing people to scotch. So I started having these events at places you wouldn't expect. So like fashion shows or jewelry shows and fundraisers, even public speaking events. <laughs> so just sort of kind of letting people have that, that discovery, that aha moment that I had so many years ago and realizing, you know, later getting emails and phone calls from people saying, Hey, I'm a scotch drinker now, or Hey, I was at a bar and thinking of you, I ordered my first glass of scotch. And so that's when I started really having that moment. So then I, I used uh, Kickstarter, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit here to crowdfund the first production run of Sia. And that was in 2012. Was there a day that you said, you know what, I'm going to launch my, my own uh, brand? Yeah, yes. I had heard about Kickstarter. You know, if you go back in your time machine, 2012, like that's a long time ago. It was really kind of new. Nobody really knew what crowdfunding was. I mean, now people are raising millions of dollars on it. But at the time, you know, taking the, the gamble on a platform and sending my family and friends to some website that they're like, what is this exactly? So yeah, I, I had the this moment where I was I was already backing a couple of projects on Kickstarter, and there was one in particular. It was a brewery in Pennsylvania, and you know I thought like, oh, this is a cool idea. But what I loved was it took me along for the journey. So I got to see them as they were developing their logo, as they were kind of opening shop and looking at places. So they would send updates about the project to the backers, and that's when I thought, you know, hey, I can do this for Sia. Like I can I can show people what I've been working on and. And, you know, as scary as it was, just kind of put myself out there for the first time publicly about it. How did you come up with the name Sia? I went through many different names. I'm sure most entrepreneurs can relate that sometimes the names that you want are not always instantly available. <laughs> so after, you know, kind of first the first few heartbreaks, you know, I, I kind of took a step back and there was one day in particular, I decided to go through the Scotch Gaelic Dictionary and word by word, I went until I landed on Sia. 
Now it's pronounced technically Shia in Scottish Gaelic, but it's my brand and there's no H in it. So I could call it whatever I want. (laughs) So I went with Sia. And what I love is it means the Scottish Gaelic number six. And there were six whiskeys in the blend for Sia. And so it was perfect. And what I also love about it is that it could stand for Scotch is awesome. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I absolutely love that. For anyone thinking about starting a spirits company, what is the first step that you took and what recommendations do you have for anyone thinking about getting into this business? How do you develop a product and figure out the right ingredients? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as I said, I'm an outsider, right? Like I I was a graphic designer. I didn't know anyone in the spirits industry. I, you know, wasn't born into a distilling family or anything like that. So, you know, I, I, I did something that, and I'll kind of, I'll get back to this, but this is kind of the, the inspiration for it. When I was younger, I, when I wanted to be a graphic designer, my mom had never heard of graphic design. She thought that I'd be selling paintings on the side of the road when I told her I wanted to go to art school. <laughs> but my dad was really interesting. My dad, you know, she said, you're going to be a you know, lawyer, you're going to be a doctor like your dad and your grandfather, like, you know, you have to follow in the footsteps. And I said, you know, I want to be an artist. And, and so when I told my dad this, he said, you know, I wanted to be an artist, but my dad told me I had to be a doctor. He's like, if that's your passion, you should do it and the money will come. You know, he didn't know anything about graphic design either, but we, we were at Barnes and Noble one day and I told him I wanted to work for a magazine in particular. And he said, well, you know, can you show me like here on the shelf, which of the magazines you think have good graphic design or that you would want to work for? And so, you know, I pulled out a bunch of different magazines and this is in the, I guess now early or late nineties. Right. So he bought them all and we got home and this is pre like internet. So he came over with all the magazines and a stack of paper and a pen. And he said, I want you to write a letter to each of the, you know, he opened up the masthead of the magazine and said, who's, who's your boss going to be? And I said, well, probably the art director. He's like, so write to the art director. I'm like, Poppy, what would I say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, well, just say, Hey, you know, I'm a high school student. I'm thinking about entering, you know, this industry. Could I meet with you, you know, at your office, you know, and come visit you. And, <laughs> and so I was just shaking my head, like this is never going to work. Right. And so, but I did it. And sure enough, I sent out letters. And this is now, you know, getting actual physical letters in the mail. It felt like, you know, when you get your college acceptance letters, like go to the mailbox and in come all these letters from Time Magazine, Life Magazine, Sports Illustrated, How, Print, Sports Illustrated, Discovery, Scientific American, like all these amazing magazines. And they were all saying, yes, yeah, come up. We'd love to meet with you. And and so I was like, okay, now what? So he's like, okay, so I'm going to fly you and your brother up and you'll, you'll go meet with all these people. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, a junior in high school. And I felt like, oh my God, that worked. And so, you know, I met with all of them and then came back and realized like, okay, maybe magazines isn't exactly what I want to do, but there's this whole thing called the internet that's happening right now and web design. And I really want to get into it. So anyway, just to, to kind of go back to why, when I was trying to think about, okay, now how do I get into the scotch industry? I did the same thing. So, you know, I started writing to every distillery I'd ever visited in Scotland, anyone that I'd read about in a book or a magazine, you know, every, you know, I'd read about something like independent contractors. So then I'd be like, okay, let me look that up on Google and find someone that can help me there. So, you know, I would get rejections from people saying I'm not an independent contractor. So then I'd start looking what's an independent contractor and then looking that up and trying to reach out to to all the, the people I could find. And, you know, again, getting rejected time and time again, this time it was very different. I got 80 rejections. And then finally I got this, my first yes. And I remember it was my 81st yes. And it was so important because it was uh, the first door in what I thought was gonna be this old boys club was opened to me by two sisters. They were taking over their dad's importing business. They had a lot of connections in Scotch and they said, yeah, we, we love this idea. We would absolutely love to help you with it. And I said, awesome. <laughs> this is, this is incredible. And that's all you need. It's just one. Yes. One. Yes. And persistence is key. And I think that that's the theme with so many entrepreneurs you, there's so many hard times and, you know, challenges to get through and you just have to keep going. Yeah, I think with each no, it's almost like a checkpoint to make you decide, is this important to me? How badly do I want this? Is this going to stop me or is this going to motivate me to keep going? What was the process like of actually developing the product? How do you not get drunk in the process? (laughs) 
So this is kind of fun. As a, the whiskeys would arrive in my house, you know, I said, like, this is the flavor profile I want. The way that I came to it was in doing all of these tasting events. What I learned was to introduce someone to the, the category of scotch, most people think it's going to be smoky or peaty, was that you can't really have it on the nose. So the nose is such an integral part of the taste experience, almost 80%. So if you get too much smoke or peat on the nose, you've already decided that it's going to be too strong before you even taste it. So it was really important for me to have this flavor profile. I you know, created a couple blends at home that I thought were, were the right fit. So I wanted a lot of vanilla and caramel on the nose, some citrus and honey in the middle. And I did like having just a little bit of smoke on the finish for people that were already familiar with scotch, but not too much. Because I want this to be sort of for all people, right? Bringing people into the market, but also up and down from their existing brands. And so, you know, you kind of give your, your flavor notes to the blender and, and you come back with a bunch of very small little samples. <laughs> and they tell you to sample these first thing in the morning before you even brush your teeth at like 7 a.m. <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to do <laughs> Like, I want to try it. Yes, I'll do that. And I'm also going to try it when most people are, you know, probably going to be enjoying their whiskey, which is at the end of the day after they've had different food, after exercise, all these things that can affect your palate. So that part was really fun. And then also just trying it out on other people, right? Like, you know, what I love is not necessarily what everyone else loves. So I wanted to make sure that this was something that could be appreciated by many different people. And back to Courtney's question, how do you not get drunk tasting all of this wine? <laughs> Does your tolerance increase? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had, I think my first run, I had lined up maybe 13 glasses on the table. And there's a certain point where you just get palate fatigue, right? So you just say, I'm going to stop this. And tomorrow I'll, I'll do like almost like a final four bracket, <laughs> you know, like, let me tell you these and then taste these. And then the next day, see if you still enjoy those and then start to compare those until you kind of come down. So it's not necessarily like a one day experience. It's definitely, I think I spent about two weeks before I finally said, yeah, this is the one, but it was, it was interesting. Cause I still went back to the first one that was that gut instinct mm -hmm. that took me back to a, a sense, like a memory that I had with Sia in particular, it was because I was getting these, these hints of caramel apple and funnel cake. And it took me back to like a youth memory of, you know, being at a carnival and, and hearing all those, the sights and the sounds of it. And, and it was just such a joyful memory that it brought me. Something that I want to understand is when you have a product-based business, it is very capital intensive to be able to buy product and pay for things ahead of time. I know you initially bootstrapped your business and then were able to launch a Kickstarter, but how much money do you need to be able to have on hand to launch a business like this? I think the answer is never enough, right? So, you know, I had saved up some money while I was working. I had started doing freelance design work at night, you know, just to, to think about, okay, well, how long will it be before I can quit my job? And I think at the end, I was like, I should have tripled that. And so it's not as simple as, you know, in, in my other world, in the digital world, you could now especially create a concept like a minimum viable product, test it out online, and it's pretty lightweight. But when it comes to something that's like exists in the physical world, for example, for my product, there is liquid, there is trucks, there is glass and corks and boxes and a factory. And then it all comes on a container ship across the Atlantic. So there's a, a lot of just, you know, things and physical things involved with uh, with a brand that's that exists in in real life right so it's very capital intensive for me i you know like i said i saved up some money I also took out a home equity line of credit on my home. I did the Kickstarter campaign. I brought on some initial partners as investors. And then I did a small seed round, small, it was almost $700,000 in the form of safes. So I did, you know, a bunch of different kinds of, of ways of raising money and all of them were difficult. Next up, you'll hear Karine's experience finding the perfect partner for her brand and how it helps save millions of dollars, as well as all about the Entrepreneurial Spirit Fund and how you can apply for their grant. Hi, Entrepreneurs. You know I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entrepreneurista Agenda our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other entrepreneurs over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash newsletter. 
That's entreprenista.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the Entreprenista Agenda. You launched on Kickstarter definitely in the early days. I would love to hear a little bit about some of your tips and best practices because you definitely had what was considered a very successful Kickstarter campaign. Thank you. Yes. So I'm proud to say that it was the, at the time, the highest raise for a spirits brand in Kickstarter's history. And it was also the first time that a whiskey or a scotch of any kind had been used on the platform for, for launching the product. There were some challenges. So Kickstarter does have some prohibited items as giving as rewards and alcohol is one of them. So while you can raise funds from backers on Kickstarter, you can't give the actual product away as a reward, which complicates things, right? So if it's a book or a movie, people expect to get a copy of it. With a whiskey, you can't. So I had to get pretty creative. I did t-shirts and flasks. I did a party at my house <laughs> where you could you could try see us. You get a ticket to the party. And then I also did, I was living at this pretty cool loft in San Francisco at the time where you could rent out my space for $1,000. <laughs> and so three people threw parties at my house, which was pretty random. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then the biggest reward was getting your, your name printed on the first production run. And that was a $10,000 reward. And so I didn't think anyone would actually do it. And someone did, which was amazing. Did you know the person who who did it? It was a friend of a friend. And I've since met this gentleman a few times and he's amazing. He's the founder of WordPress and his name is Matt Mullenweg. And so the first production run was called the Mullenweg edition of CS Scotch. And he's a very huge supporter of entrepreneurs and loves Scotch whiskey. So it it was a match made in heaven. What a cool story. That is so cool. How many of those did you make? So that the first production run was, I believe it was thousand bottles. So it was a small production run. Any other tips you can share about getting the word out when you launch a Kickstarter? Were there any specific marketing tactics that you used? Definitely. So with Kickstarter, what I tell people is it becomes your full-time job. So plan it as if this is your launch event and think about which PR outlets you want to be focused on, reach out to them in advance, get all of your materials set up with your rewards. Make sure that you've already figured out all the math for it. What people fail to, to consider is that creating these takes time and money, right? And so if you're looking for you know, a $50 reward, and you're doing a t-shirt and in my case a flask like those those can amount to almost $25 so that's you know you're out $25 so it's not a 50 <laughs> reward so you have to really figure out your math appropriately and your your rewards appropriately and then also factor in shipping also kickstarter has i believe i'm, I'm not sure if it, what it is these days but at the time it was a 5% fee and then there was also an amazon processing fee so it was almost 13% in fees that people also don't consider. So what you you need to ask for more than what you think you're going to need. And also to be really mindful of, you know, thanking people publicly about their contribution so that they can get the word out and share it, giving people shareable assets so that they have imagery and words that they that are approved by you to share about your campaign. And then also have your your next next step plan lined up. So you know, have a support program for people to help get the the awards out. And then also just, okay, now, now you actually have to get back to business. Those are such great tips. So after the Kickstarter campaign, you realized that, okay, you raised 40 plus thousand dollars, but that was not enough. You needed to, you needed to raise more and you wanted to, to get creative. Can you talk us through some other tips for the other forms of fundraising that, that you were able to do? Because so many of our listeners are either fundraising right now, or they're thinking about fundraising. Yeah, so I was really fortunate. The first form of money after the Kickstarter and after bootstrapping came from the two women that I had mentioned earlier, Lauren and Gabby Shane. Their dad, Alan, they all have an importing company called Spirit Imports. And so they partnered with a friend of theirs named Jim Landis, who had some success from another liquor brand called Hypnotic. And so all together, they became partners into SIA. And they they took on a pretty big chunk of equity early on, which is almost 25% of the, of the business. But here's what was so magical about this partnership. They have been through the ringer before, right? Like they know where brands succeed and where they fail and where they're going to get tripped up. 
And they said, well, first, before we even become partners, we're going to help you work on your margins because your margins are not healthy to sustain your business. So they helped me negotiate different rates with vendors and help me really get my product to the point of scale. And then they said, the place where most businesses <laughs> fail <laughs> as well as also with fundraising, right? So businesses need to go out and raise money so that they can create inventory that's going to sit in a warehouse. And now you've given up your equity for the sake of, of production. So what we're going to do in exchange for our equity stake is we'll be your bank. So we will lend you the money to create, you know, your products, everything from liquid, glass, corks, bottles, freight, shipping, bottling production and freight back to the U.S. And then as purchase orders come in, we'll keep our share of the production costs and you can use the remainder for sales and marketing. So over the course of, you know, five, six years, that amounted to millions of dollars that I didn't have to go out and raise in order to create more products. So it's a nugget that I share with a lot of people. If you can find a partner that's willing to be your bank, it's gold. Wow. That is, that is such an interesting experience and all going back to the original lesson that you learned from your father, mailing letters to those, <laughs> those editors. And that's ultimately how you ended up connecting with them. So that, that is so incredible. I want to know the 25% partnership. How did you figure out, you know, what was a fair percentage to give away to them of the company? Did you have lawyers that you worked with or other trusted advisors that were helping advise you during this? You know, I didn't. I really leaned on them quite a bit because they wanted to be involved in more of a way than just giving money or writing a check. They had the industry connections, the know-how that I needed to open these, these doors to this industry, to tell me which distributors I should be working with, you know, if my, if my plan was correct. And so it was also a figure that got them excited too, right? Like there's a lot of investors that, you know, three, four points or half a point, they don't really get excited about that. So it had to be meaningful to them, but also meaningful to me, right? So it had to be like, hey, these are going to be partners. This isn't just like a silent investor here. So I need to make sure that I'm really comfortable with them. And at that point, after years of working together, I absolutely was. And yeah, we remain great friends. We talk once a week. So it's a very active partnership and, and I'm so excited. I think, you know, a lot of people think that you have to do this alone, but you don't need to. And some people think that you have to start with a co-founder from the beginning. And what I like to share with people, is sometimes you find the founders along the way. That's really great advice. At what point in starting your business, did you start to generate revenue and where did your first sales come from? Oh, yeah. So I launched in California. I like to tell people to start in your own backyard and, you know, make your mistakes on a very small level, go an inch wide and a mile deep. And so San Francisco was my home base. So my first, my first couple of sales were at some bars and restaurants in the area. And I was so excited. I told all my friends, like, come meet me at Rive. We're going to go have some drinks. <laughs> it's my first account. So it was really fun. And yeah, it, it happened pretty quickly because of Kickstarter. You know, it was something that no other brand had really done. So I was able to get a pretty big distributor right off the bat because of it. Now it's, a, it's really hard for small brands to get distributors because there are so many craft brands coming, coming online and you're kind of required to have your own sales from self-distribution before you can even approach a bigger distributor. So I think the timing was very fortunate. And how does that work with a distributor? They just take a percentage of all the sales that they generate yeah. or so it's interesting. To? There's a it's a kind of an antiquated system, old prohibition law. So if you make the spirit, you can't own one of the avenues for selling it. So the distributor serves as a middle person to the retailer. So the three tiers are supplier, distributor, retailer. And a retailer could be a bar, a restaurant, or a store or online now. And with my case, there's an extra level because it's being imported. So there's four steps along the process. So after you create the product then you sell it to an importer, they mark it up, sell it to a distributor, distributor marks it up, sells it to a retailer, and the retailer marks it up and sells it to the end consumer. This has been a law for forever. I'm not yeah. even upset. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... Yeah, this is like prohibition era. So yeah, it's, it's just the way it is. It's one of those things that you think like, why is it this way? And and so I think there's 
some change happening in the industry. We see it more on the wine front. So with wines, you can go direct to consumer, which is wonderful. They can ship direct and you don't have to deal with uh, the middlemen, but with spirits and I believe beer, I could be mistaken. There's still the, the three-tier system. How did it, did it get overturned with wine or it was? You know, I I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> like when I want to go to Google while we're recording. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like how did they do it? Yeah. So for anyone starting out and getting into this industry, I or they couldn't just go to a, a restaurant and pitch that owner. You have to do it through a middle person. Yeah, well, so it's kind of you go hand in hand. There's some accounts that I open with a distributor. We'll meet up at an account and talk about it together because they're there to also present other brands that they represent or also take orders for for the bar or restaurant for brands that they that they carry and need to reorder. Some I'll just go and pitch on my own and then tell my distributor, hey, this this account is interested. Could you please follow up? And then some that they do independently where they tell me like, hey, we just got you into this big account and that's extra. <laughs> so yeah, it can it can go in a variety of ways. So interesting. So much to learn. Now you have some incredible accomplishments, one of which being the first Hispanic person and American woman to create a scotch and whiskey company. Can you just share more about this incredible accomplishment? Because it is just so wonderful. Like this has never been done before. Like you have, you've done it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. My my legal team will tell me that I should put the caveat that as far as I know, or to the best of my knowledge, I am the first Hispanic person in history and the first American woman to create a scotch whiskey brand. So it's weird. It's one of those things where you don't think about it when you're doing it. It's not like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go set out and do this. It's just, this is this is who I am. It's my passion and something I believe in. But more and more as I as I connect with other entrepreneurs of color, minority entrepreneurs, you realize that, that these are big achievements that people look to you for attainability, right? And so that's not within, without reach. And so having someone that you could emulate or ask advice of, it's really important. And also realizing as a, you know, a child of immigrants that my parents took a, a huge leap of faith, leaving their country and starting fresh with no money. And, you know, for, for me, it's very much of, I want to you know, appreciate that. And the best way I can do that is to be successful and to show them that, that their risk was with with reward, right? So that, that it wasn't for nothing that they were able to give me the confidence and the safety net and security to know that that I can pursue my dreams and that I can also help other people do the same. I know that you really make a point to want to give back to other entrepreneurs and, and founders. Can you share more about your mission doing that? Sure. So as I said, you know, I had a lot of people help me all along the way. <laughs> I, I think that entrepreneurship, even though sometimes it feels very lonely, you are part of a, a team. You know, if that team is your family or your friends or the people that actually work on your business, there are people that have helped you along the way. And I believe in you know giving back and paying it forward. So all along the way, since day one, at the end of the year, I would tally up my sales and then give a percentage of my sales towards a different organization that helped women start and run their own businesses. And this year we're opening it up in a much bigger way to both men and women, but to people of color, all minorities, and we're calling it the Entrepreneurial Spirit Fund by Sia Scotch. We're launching this in partnership with Hello Alice, which is an online advisor that helps match individuals with resources to help build their dreams. And we are going to be granting $250,000. This is incredible to me. This is just, it's just magic. A quarter million dollars to 25 qualifying entrepreneurs in the form of $10,000 grants who operate in the markets where we operate. So California, Florida, Illinois, Nevada, New York, and Texas. We've just launched on July 13th, and we're accepting applications through August 10th, and we encourage all entrepreneurs to apply. <laughs> we'll be announcing the recipients the week of September 2nd, and grant recipients will also receive a one-year membership to the Entreprenista League. That is so exciting, and what an incredible, incredible accomplishment and offer that you're giving back to this wonderful community. So thank you for all that you're doing, and we're we're so excited to welcome all of these new members to our Entreprenista League as well. I'm holding up my heart digit card right now because we are just so, so, so excited. So we will be sharing all of the links on social, on our website to apply for this grant. What you're doing is so incredible. And looking back, you launched your business and Kickstarter. What does it feel like to be able to give away $250,000? 
I, I'm, you know, shaking my head, like pinching myself, right? Like, is, is this real? And yeah, it, it, it's, it feels full circle, right? Like I, I want to help new businesses to get to the point where they can achieve their dreams, achieve the unexpected, really pursue their passions. How can minority entrepreneurs apply for this grant? Sure. So applicants can visit csscotchfund.helloalice.com, S-I-A-S-C-O-T-C-H-F-U-N-D dot helloalice.com to apply for your $10,000 grant. Amazing. And we will be sharing the links everywhere, all over our Entreprenista social or entreprenista.com website as well. So definitely apply for this grant. And we can't wait to welcome all of the new members to our Entreprenista League too, to learn more about them and their business. So thank you. You've shared so many out-of-the-box ideas on how to launch a business, and I'd love to learn, you know, looking back at your journey, was there any big mistake that you made in kind of a unique unique way you got yourself out of it? (laughs) I wasn't ready for this one. (laughs) Let me see. I think that there's different nuances to every industry and I didn't know the rules or the the nuances to certain things. And sometimes I would just, you know, nod and smile and pretend like I knew. And I realized I should have just spoken up more and said, hey, I have no idea what OND means when you're talking about OND being the, the big sales. And I thought like, what is OND? And I was like looking it up, couldn't find it anywhere. And they realized it says, oh, and I asked a friend and it's like, it means October, November, December. That's the quarter where most liquor sales happen. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, indeed. Got it. It was like little <laughs> things like that. So just, you know, the lingo things that, that you don't know that you don't know, right? Like those are the, 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 the pitfalls, but I think it's just more about saying, hey, I'm new here. Could you walk me through this and speaking up? I couldn't agree more. I feel like so many times, even when I'm talking to to women and mentoring them, they're like, oh, I know this is a silly question. And I'm like, I stop them like, no, 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 there's no silly questions. Ask, ask anything and don't feel bad about asking because that's how we all learn. Yeah, I think women in particular, sometimes we apologize too much or we're a little bit more timid. And so just kind of embracing, you know, that we're not born experts at anything, right? We're all learning in every aspect of our lives. So it's okay to be vulnerable. Up next, why a community is essential as an entrepreneurista and the importance of going out and building it yourself if it doesn't exist. Hey, entrepreneurs, Stephanie here. Dressing up while working from home has truly been a challenge, but guess what? I found a solution founded by a fellow entrepreneurista. It's Armoire. You can rent stylish clothes weekly or monthly right from the app. You'll spend less time shopping and you can get up to 50% off of your first month plus two bonus items. Just use the code entrepreneurista at checkout or visit armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista to claim your offer. Look and feel your best with armoire. I know I do. That's armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista. All right, now it's time for our favorite segment, the rapid fire questions. So I will jump right in. Oh, you didn't get you didn't get prepped for this. You're just going to we're just going to jump in and go. You ready? <laughs> Describe yourself in three words. Ooh, joyful, spontaneous, courageous. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, <laughs> living on a prayer. Ah. <laughs> If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? Ooh, speed reading. Hmm. What is your most used emoji when you send a text? Uh, the, the, the little cute one that has the hands like this. Ah, yeah. <laughs> That's the hug one or which one that is. What's the app on your phone that you can't live without? Stitcher. I love podcasts. <laughs> Do you have a hidden talent that we don't know about? So yeah, I am a licensed private pilot. I guess, fun fact, only 7% of pilots in the United States are women. I got my private pilot's license and I'm working on my instrument rating right now. Wow. That's really cool. How often do you fly? Well, that was not the next question, but I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right now about once a week. So I'm hoping to kind of pick up the pace a little bit, but it's all that my schedule can allow. That's so cool. Lastly, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And you kind of already have one with this whole flying ability. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one superpower. 
I mean, you always hear like invisibility, but I'm not kind of like a voyeur or anything like that. So I would say just to be able to move fast, like speed, this, this, this superpower of speed. I feel like that's what we all want. All of us yeah. lovely type A's who just want to go faster and get there. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to know a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you, especially now. And I know you're a mom too. So how are you managing and balancing everything? I mean, I think, you know, some days I just, I'm not right. So (laughs) there are some days where you're definitely in the groove, but yeah, it's, I think it's kind of take it day by day. My husband and I, we've learned that the best thing for us is just to have a weekly meeting. So every Sunday we have a, we have a planning meeting where we just look at our calendars for the week and decide, you know, who's doing drop-offs and pickups and, you know, after school activities and, you know, I need some support during this day or this time. And, and also just to factor in some time to yourself, right? Like these are, I'm just going to go do this for myself or see my friends or, you know, call a friend that's overseas or something like that. And so to kind of plan ahead for those. And then, and then we have our, our marriage meeting, which is kind of fun. We learned this through the Gottman Institute where, you know, we, we have time that we set aside for work and for our friends, but you know, to actually have a dedicated time where we kind of take stock, like how, how was this week for us as a couple? You know, what can we do better? Were there any regrettable incidents that we should rehash and talk about? Some things that you appreciate about each other. And then you end with, you know, what can I do this week to make you feel loved? And so it's something new that we've kind of picked up in the last year and it's completely changed our, our relationship and our lives. But yeah, kind of separating the tactical things, right? Because those things can like the planning and the scheduling can just creep up into a a partnership where you just feel like you're just, you know, both in scheduling mode all the time. And so to kind of take that out of the week, that's definitely helpful. I'm going to take this as a sign because the Gottman Institute was just recommended to me by someone. You're the second person who's now mentioned it. So (laughs) I think there's a reason because I was just looking up their, their program and online courses too. So I'm taking this as a sign to do it. With my husband. I mean, for sure. It's, it's been a game changer for us. I'm, I'm not one to like, you know, I tell people whatever works for you and I don't try to like give relationship advice. I just, this is just something that, that definitely worked for us, especially my husband's an entrepreneur also. So having two people that have schedules that are not predictable, you know, you have to add some kind of framework around it to, to make it work. And then, yeah, you know, drop off pickups after school activities for my kid and just try to get the work in, in between while she's at school and then, you know, after work, just you know, spending time with the family. So what I, I also picked up along the way was because balance, like work-life balance is, is just this like, you know, magical unicorn that we all try to chase. For me, it's more about just being intentional in those moments. So when I'm working, that's all I'm doing, right? And then I'll put aside, you know, think time on the calendar for other things and really schedule it out, but then also to not carry things with me. So if I'm on the way to pick up my daughter, then I'm like using that time to kind of turn off the work brain and say, Hey, now I'm going to be intentionally with my, with my kid. And for the next, you know, three or four hours or until bedtime so that I can give her my all and not kind of try to sneak time away on my phone and send out some emails or something like that in between. Thank you for sharing. That's really great advice. I, you're the first person to, to tell me about planning meetings. Were you doing planning meetings even before you had a kid? No, no, this, this came, I think out of necessity, right? Like, you know, you can manage your own time and your partner can manage your own time, but when you're both trying to manage like a third human, then it's like, okay, now, now we need to figure out how to, how to bracket for that. Do you use um, like the Google calendar? Like what, what are your tools that you use to yeah, organize? Yeah, just Google calendar. And I always add in time beforehand. So it's like, okay, if, I, if there's something is happening before you factor in the time for travel and then also like getting back. So, so that kind of a thing. And then, yeah, just other, other things that like with, uh, during COVID, I, you know, had to homeschool my kid for seven months. And so picked up like a couple other little things along the way. One that I love is called homeschool Spanish Academy. So I'm, I speak Spanish, but my husband doesn't. And what I was finding was when I was, when the three of us were in the, the room, I was serving as translator and like, you know, between them, like in English and Spanish, and it took me out of the conversation and I wasn't enjoying that. So I said, you know what, someone else is going to teach her Spanish and then she and I can practice it. And during that time, I can get a little bit of extra work done at the end of the day. And so it's wonderful. I mean, they actually know how to teach, whereas I'm not a teacher. They have a curriculum and a game plan versus me just pointing at things around the house. <laughs> so yeah, I think that, that that's been really helpful as well. I wish my mom did that for me. She did not teach me Spanish growing up and I'm still trying to learn. 
<laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's, she's, my daughter is five. And so I wanted to make sure that this like, you know, special age that they can, they can absorb things to kind of put that in there. <laughs> They, they really are like sponges right now. I mean, Molly's almost two and every day, like any word you say, they just remember everything. Like you can't get anything by them. <laughs> Did COVID impact your business at all? You know, it's interesting. About five years ago, I took a hard look at, you know, where I was banging my head against the wall and things weren't working. And one of them was bars and restaurants. My price point for my bottle is $49.99 and it's going to be coming down now. I think uh, when we air my price for my bottle is $39.99 and it used to be more expensive. And so that took me out of the running to be in cocktail menus in bars and restaurants. And so I decided, let me just focus on stores. And it was great to be able to find, especially in chain retail, grocery stores, big liquor chains that I would have just one buyer. And then that buyer would say yes. And then the brand was in a hundred plus stores versus knocking individually on a hundred doors. So I kind of went from the big universe of bars, restaurants, stores down to stores. And then even from stores, I said, now just chain stores, grocery stores and liquor stores. And so that helped change my brand immensely. All of a sudden things began to, took, to take off in a big way. And so when, when COVID hit, because of the closures of bars and restaurants, my business was mostly unaffected. I did have to take a hard look at more, I think like most businesses, how do I sell more online? <laughs> so just you know, starting to figure out a little bit more focus with social media and with online advertisements and also the different retail partners for liquor stores. Well, you know, we can help you with the social media stuff. Yeah. Going forward. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say that you're most grateful for every day? Uh, I think my family, they, they're, they're my rock. You know, I, I wake up and my favorite moment of the day is when I hear my daughter's footsteps kind of like running a, a, like towards our bedroom and she jumps in our bed and she wraps her arms like you know kind of like she gets slides in between us and just wraps her her little tiny arms around our heads and my heart just melts I just I don't I don't ever want that moment to end so yeah. only we could freeze them right freeze freeze them, freeze them this time. <laughs> I know I know and I wonder like when you see people that have so many kids you think because like oh now I get it you just always want to enjoy this like young baby stage and and capture that magic for as long as possible totally do you have a favorite mantra or quote that defines your values I do it's actually the wallpaper on my computer and it is a ship in port is safe but that's not what ships are for. Mm. So it reminds me to, you know, to get out of my safety zone, to take a risk, to do that, which scares me. And cause that's, that's where you find the magic. No, that, that's so beautiful. Well, finally, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Oh, so I think, especially when it comes to female entrepreneurs, what's so magical about us is that we are community builders. We find support with others, in particular women. In my journey, I was finding that, you know, it's a very kind of lonely, lonely journey. There's not a lot of people doing this, much less women. So I encourage people that if you don't have a community to go out and build one. And I was fortunate. A woman named Nicola Nice reached out to me and she's the founder of Pomp and Whimsy Gin Liqueur. And she is starting a collective called the Women's Cocktail Collective. And we are now a group of 30 female founders of spirit brands. So not husband and wife teams, strictly women owners. And all of our brands complement each other. So we've collaborated on cocktail menus, at trade shows, we can negotiate rates. And it's quite impressive when a consumer can walk into a room and there's a rotunda of 15 spirit brands and say, these are all women-owned brands. So it's been awesome to be able to collaborate with a network of women. And so, yeah, I think being an entrepreneur is very much about collaboration and community. There is nothing stronger than the power of all of these women together, networking, building relationships. Courtney and I talk about this all the time when we first started Social Fly, you know, the networking groups that we joined, the entrepreneur groups that we joined really helped us grow our business and network and learn from one another. And that's why we're launching the Entrepreneurista League because we want to be able to more formally bring these connections together so people can strategically meet and network and build this community and these relationships. So that's so incredible that, that you were able to, to start this and you've all been able to come together and, and build, build each other up in business. So congratulations. Thank you. You can't take credit for it. It's just founding member, but very involved and very excited to be part of the journey. 
Where can everyone find you, follow you, and of course, buy your product as well as apply to receive a grant from you? Sure. So our social media handle is CS Scotch Whiskey. That's uh, Instagram and Facebook. Our product is available in California, Florida, Illinois, Nevada, New York, and Texas. You can find it also online at reservebar.com slash SIA uh, to have bottles shipped to your home. And you can also ask your favorite store, bar, retailer, restaurant to carry SIA Scotch if they don't have it. And for the, the grant program, the Entrepreneurial Spirit Fund by SIA Scotch, you can visit csscotchfund.helloalice.com. That's S-I-A-S-C-O-T-C-H-F-U-N-D.helloalice.com. As a minority or a person of color entrepreneur for the chance to win a $10,000 grant. And I encourage you to enter before our deadline of August 10th. Thank you so, so much for being here and sharing your incredible journey and story. We cannot wait to follow along and see the incredible success that CEO will continue to have. So thank you for continuing to support other entrepreneurs and giving back and all of the incredible work that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Stephanie and Courtney. I can't thank you enough for this opportunity. And I applaud everything that you've done with Social Fly and Entrepreneurista. And I'm just so, so excited to have shared this conversation with you. Oh, thank you. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entreprenista League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Corral, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurial League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entreprenista.com forward slash experience week. That's entreprenista.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.